0: Wow! (laughs) Joining us today on our podcast is the cicada in the garden at the Madison Public Library. Do you have anything else to add to that?
1: Yes, he does. Wow! He uh, is—he's very expressive today. He's everyone's got an opinion.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There we go. All right. Hi, I'm Michelle. I'm Rob. And welcome to. Two, Two librarians, librarians walking, walking to a shelf. Uh, we're,
1: episode 7. Episode 7. Today, Outside, enjoying...
0: Yeah, enjoying the weather. Enjoying the katydids <laughs> yelling at us from the trees.
1: <laughs> so what do you got for us today?
0: Today we're going to be talking about... Just the stuff we're enjoying right now. But before we get into that, uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about some other resources you can find online at the library. All right. So, if you like ebooks and digital audiobooks, we have a couple of services that can help you out with that. We have the Digital Media Zone. Uh, you can use two apps with that you can use the Overdrive app, and they also have a new one called Libby. A lot of people like the Libby app because it's uh, user friendly and cute, and it's simple to use. Overdrive is an older app, and it's not as user-friendly, but it's still a good app with some options that Libby doesn't offer. We also have Hoopla, another avenue to get books, audiobooks, and movies and music. You create an account and link your library card to it, and then you have access to whatever Hoopla is offering that month. The bonus for Hoopla is that there are no wait times for materials, no holds list. it's an instant download. You get five a month.
1: I will add that Hoopla also has an amazing library of comic books and graphic novels. Nice. So a lot of stuff is available through Hoopla.
0: All Right. I also want to talk a little bit about the blog at our website. We put up show notes each week for each episode on the blog with links to the catalog and everywhere you can find the materials we talk about. But also people throughout the system have written blog posts about all kinds of subjects. We have book recommendations for all ages. We have movie recommendations. You can check out Rob's drive-in double feature posts from movies from our Hoopla selection. Uh, You can find information on how to decipher what's what's in your social media feed, and how to spot fakes or disinformation. We also have posts up trying to help guide people through the process of being unhoused and also having COVID. The blog address is blog.hmcpl.org. Check that out if you're interested. To talk about books and stuff for today, the first book I want to talk about is The Girl from Widow Hills by Megan Miranda. It's her newest book. It's from 2020. Megan Miranda writes mystery thrillers is usually told through the perspective of a young adult woman. When our main character was a toddler, she became famous for being swept away in a flash flood one night after sleepwalking. And then she survives for two days in drainage pipes before she's rescued. After realizing that she's never going to be able to escape being a headline before she starts college, she moves away, changes her name from Arden to Olivia. And she tries to start over the story opens to Olivia getting a call about her mother's death and Olivia doesn't really care. She doesn't want to go claim her mother's body she doesn't do anything for the burial. She doesn't want her mother's possessions. She's done with that part of her life and she is unwilling to return to living life in the spotlight. And her mother never understood that. Unfortunately, Olivia is returning to having nightmares and sleepwalking like she did when she was a little kid. And she feels like she's being watched and she's desperate for something to help her take the edge off so she can rest and hopefully not hurt herself or someone else while sleepwalking. One night she wakes up in her front yard with a man's body at her feet, she's covered in blood, and her life starts to unravel from there. I really like Megan Miranda's writing, and what I liked about this book particularly was the way the author was able to create the feeling of being trapped and being watched, and there's a lot of tension. This book did not disappoint. I'm a fan of Megan Miranda's. We have it at several locations in the system, You can put it on hold and pick it up from any branch. It's not available on Overdrive, but we do have a couple of other titles by Megan Miranda in Overdrive and Hoopla. So if you like mystery thrillers, especially if you don't like gory ones, this one is a good pick.
1: Sounds good. Mm -hmm. Well, I have been reading uh, sci-fi lately, and I'm into Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? That's actually the novel that was adapted in 1982 to Blade Runner. The book came out in 1968 by author Philip K. Dick. The story takes place after World War Terminus. That's WWT, for anyone taking notes. <laughs> An off-world colonization requires the help of androids, which the slang for androids is Andes, for the colonization. Because the androids contend to go rogue, U.S. and Russia have squads of bounty hunters trained specifically in detecting and retiring a.k.a. killing mm. the androids. Concerns Rick Deckert, a bounty hunter who tracks and retires androids. There are six Nexus 6 androids running loose in San Francisco, and Deckert gets the job of hunting them after the top bounty hunter is put into the hospital after talking to one of them. The Nexus 6 are made from organic materials, so detecting them is more difficult. The story starts off, With Deckard waking up and finding his wife in a bad mood, he tries to kind of encourage her to dial up a better mood with this mood box. And then he goes out and he checks on his electronic sheep that he's got. He can't afford real animals. Real animals are really kind of hard to find in this future world. So he shamefully has paid for sheep that he does not like. He kind of would love to have the real horse that his neighbor has and kind of covets that horse. When he realizes that he can take out the 6 Nexus 6 androids, he'll have enough money for a horse. And that's the adventure that the book takes. It's the same adventure as the movie, but I got to be honest. I tried to read this book back when I was a kid before the movie came out. I had read enough about the movie to know what it was about. And then getting to this book, which had, again, been written in 1968, it was such a, a difficult thing to get through because a lot of it seems silly to me. And I think it's because I'm so familiar with the, the movie over the novel that it's, it's a problem I had the first time I read it. And I'm enjoying it more this time, but it, I still prefer the movie over the book. I don't know how often that happens. Does that happen to you ever? Yes. It's weird. It it's, is
0: weird. The one that comes to mind is High Fidelity.
1: Movie better than the book.
0: Movie, I think. And the show on Hulu, actually, better than the book.
1: Okay. Well, there's a lot of things that I don't like about the book. And And the biggest thing is that Rick Deckard is a schlub. You know, he's in this kind of loveless marriage, and he's obsessed with owning animals. And in the world of the novel, it makes sense for him to be like that. But you can't compare the same character to Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is just coming off... Raiders of the Lost Ark. He was Han Solo. It's Pete
0: Harrison Ford.
1: Yeah, exactly. As soon as he shows up, we know who this guy is because we've seen him in all these other great movies. A lot of names were changed. Character motivations were changed. One interesting concept that the book does introduce is the idea of Kipple. Kipple is the name for useless junk, like junk mail or book of matches after the matches are gone. Gum wrapper. So a garage. A garage, yeah, a storage. The idea is that kipple. if you don't take care of it, will just immediately start to form more kipple. And the world, because they're colonizing Mars and, and, and other areas, the world seems to be being taken over by this kipple. Like there's more and more junk every day. And I thought that was a, kind of an interesting yeah. idea. That could almost be a movie unto itself, maybe sort of like The Blob. Do I like the book? I do like the book. I like the book for what it is. Uh, I didn't have expectations like I did when I was younger. Uh, I personally probably still will like the movie more. I'm happy I'm giving it another read All these almost 40 years later. We do have it in the system. You can pick it up, give it a read. We also have plenty of copies of the movie as well as the sequel with Ryan Gosling, Mm. Blade Runner 2049. You could go to Hoopla and there is a... Series of Blade Runner comic books that are available, and I would, I would say those are probably based more off of the movie Blade Runner as opposed to the original uh, novel. Do androids dream of electric sheep? If you're not familiar with it, or if you're like me and it's been a while since you you've read it, give it another read.
0: I'm familiar with Blade Runner. I've never read the book though.
1: Yeah, well. maybe don't. <laughs> There's only so many books. Yeah, you know, life is too many books and not enough time to read. So true. true. You know.
0: I'm going to switch gears and talk about some nonfiction. If I had to give a Ted talk today, I think there are three subjects that I could give Ted talks on. One okay. is how to wing your eyeliner. Okay. Two is letting go is bittersweet. Weeding in libraries. And three is the history of the English language or why you should let go of grammar snobbery.
1: Ooh, interesting.
0: So these are like my passion subjects that I think I could give a convincing lecture on with not a lot of effort on my part, you know, From one to three, they get a little bit more serious as you go down the list. Today, I'm gonna talk a little about why I think we should let go of being grammar snobs or grammar elitists and let language change without a lot of snark or scoffing at slang or spelling changes. I'll admit that I dislike certain shortening of words. I really dislike using vacay (laughs) in place of vacation. (laughs) It's just a personal preference, but I would fight for your right to use vacay instead of vacation if that's what you choose. And here's why. Language has pretty much always been an organically developing thing that expands or contracts and assumes words from other cultures and that changes constantly. So like Shakespeare wrote all of his plays without the help of a dictionary. And without a dictionary, he coined a lot of the phrases that we use today. We don't even realize they're from Shakespeare. But we also say phrases all the time that we have no idea where they come from. Sometimes those origins can be problematic. And maybe if we knew why we said the thing, we wouldn't say it anymore. The Oxford Dictionary came about because a few old dudes decided that the way they spoke English should never change because it was the most perfect form of the language. And so, therefore, they should come up with ways to prevent the change of the language and prevent slang. And thus, the Oxford English Dictionary was born in the late 1800s. There's actually a book in the collection called The Professor and the Madman about Mm -hmm. that. It's fascinating. (laughs) Anyway, even Webster's Dictionary was born of the idea that the American way of speaking English was superior and should never change. So for the majority of spoken language, no one cared about misspellings as long as you got your point across. No one cared if you created a new word as long as people knew what you meant. It didn't matter. So the title of the book that I want to talk about is Because Internet. And it probably makes some people cringe because the title is using the word because as a preposition which is not traditionally a preposition but the author makes a case that we should just accept the changes. So the author Gretchen McCulloch, she is a linguist and she's got a podcast called Ling Enthusiasm. And a couple of years ago, she had an episode about how we use emojis as language and they've kind of taken the place of gesture in your text messages. Whereas we would make faces at each other or make hand expressions to each other, talking in person, emojis have taken that place. So they're a valid form of language she's taken that podcast idea and expanded it into a book basically about how popular language changes constantly and always has but it's changing more rapidly now because of the internet and we should just roll with it so think of emojis taking the place of gesture in your communication Or if you're interested in the way that we can learn about language by observing communication on the internet and not really obsessing about how the internet is destroying language, this book will be interesting to you. The book is fascinating and funny and maybe open your mind a little to the importance of change in language and adapting to changes in language. It's as important as adapting to anything to continue civilization. So imagine if we were still writing cuneiform. It's an extremely limited (laughs) form of language. But someone decided one day that it was the most pure form of language and so therefore we didn't ever expand. You know, phonetic language is much more expandable. So we should just roll with it. Check out Because Internet by Gretchen McCullough if you're interested in linguistics or just interested in an entertaining book about how we communicate with each other.
1: I don't understand emojis.
0: (laughs) Is that a generational thing?
1: I don't know if that's generational. I I get the smiley face. That was ever, that's been everywhere in my life since the 70s. Sure. Since Forrest Gump invented it or whatever. Right. But I don't, I don't understand. They all, it, it's just, it's, it's, I, I need to work on that. I probably need to get an emoji dictionary. Have they written one? Did I just invent that? Have they I written one? I think you
0: just invented that because emojis should never change. And the most pure form of emojis is the one that you would use right now. Which one is that? I don't know.
1: Is that the confused one?
0: The eyebrow raise or like the shrug? <laughs> the shrug. The like, shrug person. Like, Thumbs up.
1: All right. Thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Continuing my sci fi kick, last night I watched simply one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. Wally? The second greatest science fiction movie ever made. They Live, from 1988, written and directed by the great John Carpenter. Starts with drifter John Nada coming to L.A. looking for work. As soon as he hits town, he sees a lot of social unrest. A lot of stuff going on in the streets. He gets a job on a construction site and meets Frank, a working homeless man from Detroit who takes Nada to Justiceville, which is a camp for homeless people. It doesn't take long for Nada to notice some strange activity at the church across the street. When he investigates, he discovers a secret base for manufacturing sunglasses. Oh, dear. Ray-Bans. Those real cool ones. Police come that night, and with extreme force, just level Justiceville. They run everybody off. The next morning, Nada makes it over to the church and finds only a box of sunglasses left. He flees into the city with a pair of the sunglasses and slowly realizes the glasses, once he has them put on, enable the wearer to see the truth. The world is a black and white nightmare of subliminal messages on every poster, billboard, and product telling consumers to sleep, consume, obey, submit, no independent thought, and marry and reproduce. Money literally has the message this is your God. Nada also sees the aliens among us disguised as wealthy humans. They look like a melted skull with goo and silver ping pong balls for eyes. Mm. <laughs> the aliens have 99% of the human race hypnotized and ignorant to the fact that they are terraforming the planet for their needs. Nata joins a rebellion that knows about the aliens and are trying to wake the rest of the world up is their plan. They have traced the signal to the top of Cable 54, a national cable channel, keeping the masses asleep. The movie came at a time when Carpenter was noticing a divide in the country and wanted to make a film addressing the fact that the middle class was disappearing and there was a wider gap between the poor and the wealthy. He had just come off a big studio flop a couple years earlier, and he made a deal where he could make whatever movie he wanted with complete creative control as long as he kept the budget under $4 million. Wrestler Roddy Piper plays the hero John Nada, And he was never better. He didn't have the polish of Carpenter regular Kurt Russell, who had done the thing and escaped from New York previously. But Carpenter liked Piper's rough edges and his overall street-smart attitude. And you immediately like this character when he appears on screen. Nada, of course, is Spanish for nothing. And you do get a sense that this character has nothing to lose in trying to take down the alien elite. Keith David plays Frank, another immediately identifiable working-class character, if not a bit larger than life trust me when i say this movie has everything evil aliens a funny little wino lots of macho one lighters, ridiculous gunfights sunglasses and then contact lenses that let you see the evil aliens an outstanding five and a half minute wrestling match between nada and frank drones that spy on us intergalactical marital relations John Carpenter sitting near an alien in a bar while watching an alien movie critic on the TV complain about all the violence in John Carpenter movies. And the greatest line in movie history, which I cannot repeat exactly, but you'll get the point I have come here to kick butt and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Carpenter wrote the movie under the name Frank Armitage. It's an adaptation of a 50s sci fi short story by Ray Nelson called Eight O'Clock in the Morning. In the short story, a man wakes up the morning after being in a nightclub hypnotism act, and then he can see the aliens among us. The look of the film is a nice mashup of 50s sci-fi art deco and the 80s neon blast. It gives the film a unique look, especially when the world is seen through the Hoffman lenses of the special sunglasses. Given the story a more political slant, enabled Carpenter to question the effects of Reaganomics on the middle class, Placing it within the structure of a sci-fi action story featuring a pro wrestler turned actor saving the world from aliens, the film sort of flew under the radar during its release in fall of 88. The movie poster tagline warned, You see them on the street, you watch them on TV, you might even vote for one this fall. You think they're people just like you, you're wrong, dead wrong. Tying into the then current election year is definitely not something you could get away with today. (laughs) This movie was like a bolt of lightning to my brain. I was 18, and with the way the world was in 1988 and just out of high school, I seemed to really get and understand the character of John Nada and his quest to make people see the truth. I might have missed the point, though. All I did was, yeah, all I did was I grew my hair long, and I wore a lot of plaid uh, shirts like John Nada does in the movie. For a while there, I did some push-ups and sit-ups to try to bulk up, but then I was like, this is too much work. I'll just get a larger plaid shirt to hide my chunks. They don't really make movies like this anymore. Low-budget sci-fi, more focused on the story and character rather than special effects. It has a point, it has something to say. And if you don't want a message with your science fiction, then you can just enjoy watching Rowdy Roddy Piper Save the World from the Aliens. There are plenty of copies of They Live within the library system. For further reading, you can check out They Live... By D. Harlan Wilson. It's a critical look at the film's significance. And it's found in the cultograph section of Hoopla. And they also have a book by Matt Hills on the Blade Runner movie. And then other movies are are mentioned in that series like uh, Evil Dead, Danger Diabolic. So it was a very interesting series to find on Hoopla. So That sounds good. Put the glasses on. The
0: movie and the books.
1: Yes. Put the glasses on.
0: I guess that's everything we've got for this episode.
1: That wraps up this one.
0: We'll catch you next time. And remember,
1: no matter what you do, no matter where you go, don't, don't trust, trust robots. robots. Special thank you to Gantt for our brand new outro. I hope everyone is staying and listening to that. Some people may enjoy that more than... No, I don't want to say that.
0: <laughs> but they might. They might enjoy it more than the rest of the, the <laughs> podcast. All right. We'll catch you next time.
1: Thanks. Bye. Bye. The views expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Huntsville-Madison County Library System. For more information on the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library, visit us online at hmcpl.org. If you'd like to learn more about some of the topics discussed today, visit your local library, which is us. No representation is made that your librarian is more knowledgeable than other librarians, or that they have any expertise on your particular project. Don't trust humans.